What did you eat for breakfast? I had peanut butter and jelly on whole wheat toast. You are listening to the Music on Your Own Terms podcast. This episode is sponsored by the Skinny Armadillo Print Company located in Fort Worth, Texas. Now, due to the current situation, with all live music being essentially stopped, it'll come as no surprise to many people listening to this show that musicians and especially their support crew and management teams have found their income dramatically reduced. That's why the Skinny Armadillo has set up a website to support artists called Music for Good. You can purchase a specially designed t-shirt for this cause and $10 from that t-shirt will be donated to any band or artist of your choice. You can also donate money as well as purchasing the shirt. All you need to do is go to musicforgood.itemorder.com. That's musicforgood.itemorder.com. And of course, there'll be a link to the website on musiconyourownterms.com with the show notes and also in the social media posts for this episode. Make sure you stay up to date with the podcast, including finding out who I'll be interviewing next by signing up for the mailing list at musiconyourownterms.com. There, you'll also find show notes for every episode, some pretty cool videos to check out from various guests, and also links to their music and social media if you want to find out more. While you're there, don't forget to take a peek at the store and pick up something for your grandma. And finally, I'd really appreciate it if you leave a review on iTunes, because that really helps the podcast get in front of more people just like you who want to learn from the successes, strategies, and failures of artists and entrepreneurs that I talk to. I really feel that the information coming from those guests is exceedingly valuable for the musicians community and anyone wanting to pick up tips from other people's experiences. Welcome to episode 53 of the Music on Your Own Terms podcast. This time around, I chat with Ed Vincent, a New York-based entrepreneur and founder of a new event subscription platform called Festival Pass. We learn all about how the app will work, the various benefits that this credit-based model platform provides, and what the COVID-19 situation has meant for the upcoming release. Ed also talks about his background in investment banking, data analysis, and why music and a life based around experience drives him to build businesses that provide value for customers. Let's get stuck into the interview. Welcome to another episode of the Music on Your Own Terms podcast. Today, I'm joined by Ed Vincent, who is an entrepreneur and creator of a new service called Festival Pass. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, so yeah, so if you wouldn't mind just starting off, uh, giving a bit of a, an intro to yourself and your business. Um, sure, sure. So um, I've been an entrepreneur for over 20 years. 
um, you know, going as far back in the internet 1.0 days, uh, I started a company called City Stuff, which I sold in 2001. And then one of the reasons I got really excited about events and became passionate about it is all throughout the 2000s, I ran an, about a 70-person agency, mm-hmm. which was an experiential agency, and we did a lot of activations for brands at big, major events. Uh, and in that time, I, I really uh, got heavily uh, participated a lot in the film space, uh, and we uh, helped a bunch of film festivals launch. I owned a film festival in the Dominican Republic. We, uh, I even built a uh, branded hotel in the Dominican Republic with Maxim Magazine. Okay. Um, so uh, on the music side, you probably remember Blender. Mm-hmm. Uh, the magazine. So, so the magazine Blender was the same owner as Maxim. And what was pretty interesting is, uh, is as we were building out the Maxim Hotel, it only lasted for a few years, unfortunately, because of the big 2008 real estate crash. Right. Um, but we uh, we built a, a Blender music room as one of the suites in the Maxim Hotel, which was kind of cool. Nice. As I evolved down the path, having other businesses, I did a lot in the data space and entertainment um, across uh, a lot of entertainment properties, television, film. Etc. So that's kind of brought me to where we are today. Awesome. And yeah, could you just describe what what Festival Pass is before we get into it? Sure. It's uh, it's the world's first um, subscription service uh, that enables people to um, pay a monthly fee, and they receive credits for that monthly fee, and it enables them to go to thousands of different events, including music festivals and film festivals, uh, Broadway, a bunch of other uh, live events, uh, in addition to just music. Awesome. Yeah, I did uh, just to, I did uh, scope out the uh, festivals on offer right now is uh, one of them um, is Red Dirt Festival. And uh, I noticed some of the bands. Um, I actually work uh, at a T-shirt printing company here. And um, okay. some of the bands that, that we, we actually support, which is kind of cool. So it's a nice connection there. Um, oh, very cool. So is this um, is this actually a current offering or is this kind of a startup where, where is it in the sure sure so so it's a it's an early stage company mm-hmm. um so we've been uh spending time over the last year building it we um, have a, a lot of different events uh, partnered on the platform as well as a lot of uh, media partners um there we have a, a media partnership with a company called town square media which is the third largest radio group in the, in the country uh and I, I have a lot of relationships with all of the other radio groups including you know the iHearts of the world and Cumuluses of the world, um, but uh, but specifically specifically with Town Square, uh, we have a deep partnership to really leverage a lot of their media to drive uh, you know exposure to Festival Pass and what it is. Awesome, and um, so the uh, the the way the structure works is there's different tiers for different amount of points. Um, what exactly does the points get you? So you obviously it gets you into the festival, but is there any um, you know, can can you use your points for like merch at the festival, hotels, travel, or is it purely just to get into the festival itself? Sure, great question. Um, and one of the reasons there's many, many reasons what we went with a credit based currency model. And um, depending upon how, how you want to take this uh, this time we have together, is uh, there's a lot I can tell you about the financial sustainability of that credit-based model. Um, But yes, over time, we do plan to make the credits available to redeem for many things. Um, Currently, it's really for ticketing. Mm -hmm. Um, We're also in the process, as you can imagine, in the world we live in today uh, with with things going on with COVID. And I don't know, you know, again, how deep you want to get into some of the stuff there. We're we're moving, we've been having a, a 
part of our product to build virtual festivals for, mm -hmm. for a while now on the product development platform. So we're kind of moving that up uh, higher to enable sure. festivals to not necessarily replace their live events, but to have a complementary aspect. So mm -hmm. they can also have, you know, if there's, you know, Taste of Country or whatever music festival you might have that happens once a year, they can actually hold dozens of virtual mini festivals throughout the year in order to continue to sustain that brand. Sure. Yeah, that would have been my next question is how are you kind of pivoting the model right now in this situation? Because obviously festivals are shut down and no one's touring. Um, but yeah, I did notice that you'd had put the virtual thing if you want it, if you can't get to the festival, which I think is a really good idea. And I think... Uh, with this situation, it's actually forcing people to adapt to the technology to be able to stream live concerts. You're seeing it all the time right now. Um, so, I mean, obviously you, you've create you've made that like priority run one right now, but is there uh has that affected the business at all or is it actually benefit? Are you benefiting from it? I think in the long run, um, you know, since we were just kind of moving towards a really big launch in, in the spring festival season uh, now, um, what it's doing, obviously, is it's pushing back our timing of really going out and, and spending, you know, a lot of media dollars to really generate and promote it. But what it's done is, is it's given us kind of a, a few months to, to decide on how we're going to help the industry get back on its feet. Mm -hmm. um, it actually is somewhat of a silver lining for us from a business model perspective and a couple, couple of reasons for that. One is um, we have a little more time to build really great feature sets like the virtual festivals so that um, we're not being reactionary to say, hey, mm -hmm. um, you know, nobody can go to a live event, therefore only stream on Festival Pass. There are a lot of other great um, tools that people are already using like Facebook Live or Instagram Live mm -hmm. um, or even on Twitch, which I think is great from a short-term engaged people sitting at home that can't go anywhere and keep your audience engaged with the artist's perspective. But that doesn't necessarily lend to a long-term business model uh, for the festival owners, the rights holders, the event owners, and the artists. So what we've taken the time is to say, hey, let's build a long-term sustainable product that will enhance and complement the live event industry as we go forward so that the next time something like this happens, hopefully never again, something as, as catastrophic as, as COVID, but, but what happens if a hurricane comes through and prevents you know, a, a festival in Miami to happen? Sure. Um, you know, that, that takes a year's worth of revenue out of their books because they only do one big event per year. But if they were maintaining that brand the entire year throughout Festival Pass, um, it, will, it, it will add a complimentary revenue stream if their event happens. And for the unlikely event that it doesn't happen, they still have a brand that is earning money. Right. Fantastic. So on, on that note, um, how can musicians kind of leverage this kind of idea, um, you know, maybe for their for their business or for the benefit of their fans? How, how would the artist part of it kind of factor into your business? Sure, sure. So, so ultimately, when we first came out, it was really for the, the rights holders of the events themselves. Um, and then they usually hire the artist to go perform mm -hmm. and everybody makes out. But, but I think what's pretty cool now is as we roll out this virtual festival concept, um, what it actually enables artists to do is potentially hold their own virtual festival mm -hmm. uh, or virtual concert, meaning that, um, you know, traditionally you would to, to put on a big concert is millions of dollars or right. even on a small level, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, so if an artist 
wanted to choose to say, hey, you know what? Um, I would like to get a few of my friends together and whole and, and brand our own little festival. Mm. They can do so for no money. Um, and, and they would, they'll actually earn money from it because we become the entire infrastructure that enables them to actually go do it. And all they have to do is work with us, uh, get it set up, uh, brand it and, and, and play their concert. Right. Um, so I think what's so interesting about it is the more and more audiences out there that want to engage, um, we're going to provide a platform to enable the artists to kind of go direct to the audience if they need to. Mm. That, that's killer. Um, and obviously a lot of, a lot of a festival's, uh, you know, attraction is going to it, seeing what's in that particular locality, doing a bit of sightseeing, traveling, you know, there may be some art stuff in there and whatever. What, what other things are you kind of brainstorming for the experience side of it? Sure. From the virtual side or from the experience side of the live event? So as, as far as the, um, the streaming side of it. Sure, sure. I, w- I, w- I was having a, a, a pretty fun conversation today with my team uh, doing just that. So, yeah, w- as we're building the product itself um, and, you know, we're close to close to completing the basics of it. It's it's all about adding new features as we go along the way. Um, so we, we started talking to b- both our partners that are the festival owners that want to see certain features. And we started talking to the consumers that the rabid festival goers that really say, hey, well, what would make this really cool? Mm. Um, and there's multiple things. So the one thing you mentioned earlier is really easy for us to kind of add merch right on the side of the virtual festival. So, you, you know, if there are t-shirts or anything else related to it, you can buy it with your credits right then and there. That's easy. Mm. Um, uh, a couple of the cool features are, um, creating little kind of, uh, polls or, or ideas of, um, what maybe do you want the artist to play during that, that mm-hmm. engagement? Um, so, Hey everybody, there's 20,000 people at this virtual festival. Um, you know, what's your favorite artists place artist name here song. And in real time, it shows that 70% of the people watching at that moment want to see the artist play X song. Um, so that can easily be fed right into the artist and in real time, they can actually uh, respond with, with the song that everybody wants them to play. Right. Um, so that's kind of cool. Other fun things are um, just the social nature of in, in some streaming places, you might see like an ongoing chat box. Um, but I think what's really cool is that um, if you can think of it as, you know, what would happen at a real environment, you're not necessarily only chatting with the entire audience at the same time, but right. doing some breakout rooms where, you know, maybe maybe you're a guitar fan and this specific artist does an amazing riff and there's a thousand people out of the 20 that want to talk about guitar so they could just sidestep to a little chat room and talk about how awesome the guitar riff is for this artist or whatever. Right. Um, just, just those kind of social connections that enable people to feel like they can, you know, one of the most amazing things about going to live events is you feel like you're part of a community. Mm-hmm. You're part of something bigger. Uh, and if we can help kind of create really fun tools online to be able to associate with that even better. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, it, um, kind of blew my mind. I, I don't know if it was like six or eight months ago. Um, there's a, a DJ called marshmallow or marshmallow head or something like that. And, and this artist held a, um, a virtual 3d event inside of the, the Fortnite game and then sold like some, you know, millions of dollars worth of the skins that the characters wears, where and uh you know that that kind of started my wheel spinning of this kind of uh you know way of of uh, looking at the business so that's excellent um so let's dig in a little bit of history if you don't mind i mean how did you discover entrepreneurship as a thing 
Sure. I mean, I, we can go way far back, but, uh, you know, even as a kid, uh, I was working since I was 10 years old. I, I always say that I, I was a, a, the poorest kid in a, in a regular, a somewhat wealthy town. Uh, and I think that sometimes inspires a work ethic, mm-hmm. um, kind of seeing everybody else around families and, you know, for, for the good or the bad, unfortunately, my family didn't have any money. So uh, if I wanted sneakers like the kid next to me, I had to go earn money to to get those sneakers. Sure. So from 10 years old, I've been working, haven't stopped since. Um, you know, I ran a real estate appraisal business out of my dorm room in college. Uh, I wanted to find an independent way to make money while I was there. Sure. Ended up going into uh, into investment banking um, out of college in New York City but then realized that that's not my passion. Like, uh, it was, it was a great from a knowledge perspective. It was great to learn how business works. Um, but I really, every time we would be helping other businesses in the banking world, raise money or do, you know, do things that bankers do. Um, I, I preferred to have been in the company we were doing the work for. I wanted right. to actually be part of the operations. Um, so hence why in 1999, uh, with a buddy, we launched city stuff, which, it was an e-commerce company that made cities famous and, mm. you know, you could get Junior's cheesecake shipped overnight anywhere in the country you can get, you know, uh, Dungeness crabs from San Francisco shipped anywhere, you know, king cake from uh, New Orleans. So we had a lot of fun with that. And that, that kind of inspired me to say, hey, this this is this is my path. Awesome. And what what do you think? What do you think is one of the most important things to, to uh, keep in mind if you want to do something, you know, as an entrepreneur, like, you know, that you just don't want to follow the, the regular nine to five path. Sure. There, there, there's a lot in that question. It's a lot to unpack in sure. that question, but, I mean, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's, um, determination and having the, the will to, to go on when, when you need to push through things. Of course, everybody says you just want to do something you're passionate about that right. that's easy. Um, because you should do something you're passionate about. So that's kind of like the first filter. But at the end of the day, business is still business. So once you get past being in the the space of the business that you like participating in, everything else is still relatively the same. You still need to know how to manage employees. You still need to know how to manage a capital structure, uh, how to do operations, um, how to make sure you, you have enough capital, uh, and, you know, how to price the product, all the things that come with it. I've been um, I've been blessed being part of an entrepreneur group called EO. Uh, it's mm-hmm. called Entrepreneurs Organization. Okay. There's 14,000 14, of us globally. In New York, we have about 230 in our chapter here. But it's an amazing kind of peer-to-peer network. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're never feeling you're alone. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely do some research into that. Thank you. Um, so what is, what is it about uh, the music space? I mean, I guess your, your festival pass isn't just music, but what is it about the... Uh, you know the the music that draws draws you in or the the experience sure so so it really is is all about the experiential side of it the the for me it's really about building community uh mm-hmm. and passionate about it the the music space um you know as you can imagine is the most engaging form internationally of having a kind of a common language across multiple cultures um so when you can build in a live event cult, um community experience and have a medium like music that really uh you know brings cultures together to, to me that there's nothing better than the intertwining of the two awesome oh i yeah the the other question i was going to ask is um so you've uh, you've de- you've had some experience with SaaS, which is uh, software as a service. 
um, and obviously this is a subscription service. How do you think musicians could leverage that kind of idea for their their business? Sure. So, so I, th- I think again, there's a lot of a lot of ways to answer that. Um, so, what's interesting about Festival Pass, and, and it's worth noting, is it's it's really a marketplace. There's mm. there are subscription based businesses, and then there are uh, marketplaces. So, what Festival Pass is is more likened to an Airbnb or an Uber or a Lyft than it is to you know a traditional like box subscription service. Mm. Um, and the reason to think that way is there's two sides to every marketplace. So we have events, which are effectively the inventory, and then we have the consumers, which are buying the inventory. So the, the one unique side of, of having a marketplace is there's different kinds of marketplaces. And uh, we believe the one we have, uh, it's a massive industry, live events. It's a $200 billion a year industry globally. Um, but when you have a heterogeneous product, like meaning you have one festival, which is a, a beer and music festival mm. in a local town versus, you know, a big live nation show, you know, across, you know, a, a major show everybody's heard of, whether it's a Coachella or a, you know, South by Southwest or you, you name the, the, the event. Um, there's a spectrum of events in that marketplace. So people are able to come in and choose what, what they want in that perspective. Um, so on the music side, I think what we're doing is we're providing um, the event owners uh, a very marketable aspect to people that have already committed to living mm-hmm. an experiential life. So by people signing up on a monthly basis in our subscription product, um, what it does is they're committing to to do something. They're saying, hey, I'm voting with my dollars to be a part of this experience. And now... Um, I've, I've already passed that filter because I'm going to go out to these live events. Now it's up to us and it's up to the event holders to within the marketplace, be really good at doing data and recommendations. So we're presenting the right event to the right person at the right Mm -hmm. time. So I think that really helps drive audience at these shows. Um, and and then that, this is more from the festival pass perspective. I think your question was a little broader, which was, Hey, how does something similar to what we're doing help and affect the music business. And there are a lot of other companies out there that are in their certain niche that help the music business. So everybody probably knows bands in town that, that Mm -hmm. enables people to know it's more of a media company signaling, Hey, of the million artists that are out there, we'll tell you when the one that you like is in, in your town. Um, and then you have other companies that are obviously the Apple musics and Spotify of the world, but then on the, the lower end, there's some self-distribution dis- companies uh, like AudioMac. I don't know if you heard of AudioMac, but no, not that um, they have all this. Yeah, it's, it's worth looking. They have all the same kind of um, consumer outcome that Apple Music might have in terms of distribution, but the artists themselves effectively can self-distribute within the platform. Okay. Um, so, so there are a lot of tools like that. Uh, one other thing that where my experience comes, and I could, I think we could be really helpful in the industry, is I understand data very well. Um, in my past, you know, last five years, uh, I ran a consultancy that handled the consumer data side for large television networks like A and E networks and. AMC networks and we do a lot in the movie theater space and I actually was the chief data officer on an intern basis of something called MoviePass, which people mm-hmm. may have heard of. Um, but during that time, what I really understood was how to how to really take data and make a better experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially in this festival world, there's so many awesome things we're doing to make sure that 
we're providing the best experience for our users at the right time, at the right place, and then help using that data to help inform the event owners as well as potentially the artists themselves to really know how people are engaging in what the product is. Awesome. All right. So uh, what major significant negative experience have you overcome and what did it teach you? And that's, that's a, a general question to, to life, right? It, it can be. It can be as specific as you want it to be. Yeah. So, so, and it's interesting you're asking that question in the, in the time that we're all collectively going through with this pandemic um, is because in a lifetime, there's, there's events like this that happen. And, you know, being a New Yorker, there's two previous events that were very substantial. Um, and from as being an entrepreneur, every single one affected me. So um, when 9-11 happened in New York, I had just sold my e-commerce company to a company up in Stanford, Connecticut. Uh, and basically, I, I was in, in a conference room in Connecticut when, when all went down on 9-11. Mm. Um, and immediately thereafter, a lot of things happened. Like, uh, you know, the, the world kind of stopped both from a, you know emotional standpoint, but also an economic standpoint. And, you know, it made it really hard for the company I sold my company to, to even continue to, to push forward. Um, so that was like the first learning I had there was not to take the, I, I didn't take the acquisition in, uh, in cash. Uh, I took it in stock mm. and, uh, in hindsight, um, any, any future company I sell, uh, there'll have to be a very large cash component because you just can't plan for these major events. Um, the second was also a financial one, uh, all throughout the two thousands, you know, I built my, you know, very substantial, fun, great experiential agency. Some of the most fun I've had from a business perspective of my whole life. And then 2008 came the financial crisis. Um, so for, you know, we had millions of dollars in revenue and all of a sudden a lot of clients didn't have money to continue. So, you know, I had to go through laying off, you know, a significant portion of the company during that time. So that again, um, you know, it's, it's the trials and tribulations of realizing that when things are going good, you, you just always have to be prepared, be prepared for what's around the corner. Oh, for sure. So flipping that around, um, what major positive experience has given you the encouragement to follow this journey? Great question. So um, <clears throat> for this specific journey, right? So uh, a couple of things is you know, the entrepreneurial journey, I would say my dad is a uh, I, he was always a guy that always had great entrepreneurial ideas, but never really put him in action. Okay. Um, but he was one of the most encouraging fathers one could ever ask for. So even in the early days, whenever I had an idea, uh, I would always share it with him and he'd be the first to be like, yeah, do it. It's a great idea. N never, never a naysayer. And it's, it's amazing what the slightest little bit of emotional support from somebody you respect um, can do to kind of put the fire in your belly to make it happen. Um, and I, I would even say most recently for Festival Pass, um, you know, when I had the idea, like I, I, because of my background, I put a lot of analytic, uh, you know, insight and time into thinking why this model is really going to work. And, you know, and again, if you want to talk about the credit based model and why it works, I can tell you why. Um, but, sure. uh, but even going through all that, um, there was a, another fellow entrepreneur of mine uh, that also loved, uh, who is a musician and, uh, but, uh, loved the whole live event space and goes to jazz fest every year and, you know, plays in a rock band uh, on the weekends and all the things that go with it. Um, he was the first person to say, you know what, this is your passion, go for it. Uh, he put the first a uh, hundred thousand dollar investment into the company and he said, here, let this get you started. And, and mm -hmm. I said, you know what, you know, that encouragement 
and that he would trust me with that initial, you know, uh, go forward, uh, really, really kind of made me say, yes, I'm going to do this. Awesome. Yeah. So if, if you wouldn't mind talking to the, to the, um, you know, the subscription, uh, not the subscription base, but the credit base model, that, that would be good info to have. Yeah. So I think, uh, uh what's interesting is I, I told you I spent a bunch of time at MoviePass and, yeah. um, one, one of the things that MoviePass, they did a lot right and they did a few things wrong. Um, and, uh, in in the process of it, in the process of building a sustainable long-term business model, um, you really have to be in a place where when, when, when you ask people to do something and when they do more of what you ask them to do, everybody wins. Um, so there's, there, there had been a bunch of subscription models in the past, including MoviePass, not, not singling them out, but, but a lot of them have gone this way that said, pay me a monthly fee and you get unlimited access to something. Mm. The problem there is that if you provide that, um, you know, 20% of the people that abuse the system win the most, and then the other 80% never really get uh, the satisfaction of a fulfillment for their monthly subscription, one, because they don't use it and eventually just cancel, or two, uh, whenever they want to use it, nothing's available for them. Mm. So you end up in this place where, you know, it, it's it succeeded in the in the gym model where people pay a monthly fee to go to the gym. Some people don't go, others do. Um, but for me personally, that's not a long term business plan that that I want to be a part of. So um, I looked at a lot of other different models out there, and one of the companies that did it actually pretty well was a company called ClassPass. And I'm not sure if you know what ClassPass is. Um, that I haven't heard of. Yeah, so they're they're now worth over a billion dollars. They're they're in thirty countries, but they've built a credit based model around uh, exercise classes. Mm-hmm. So when somebody wants to go to yoga or Pilates or spin or whatever is in the exercise space, uh, similarly to us, is they pay a monthly fee and get credits, and then you can use those credits at a different time. And what what really kind of enlightened me to the initial benefit of a credit model was watching their transition. So They've spent about four or five years having the same problems MoviePass had hmm. until they moved to a credit model. And then by enabling people to choose how they spend their credits, they were able to make a little bit of a transaction fee on every time somebody used the credits. Therefore, they had gross margin, uh, positive gross margin metrics. And when you build a business with positive gross margin metrics, everything else is feasible from there on. Um, because you actually know what your your cost of goods sold are, and you know what your revenue base is, and you just need to operate within that band. Um, so that creates a sustainable go forward business. So the other things that I started learning once I got into and began to build the credit model is, from a data perspective, it's just a lot of fun, right? Because what you can end up doing is creating price elasticity, and you can create reverse dynamic pricing. And what I mean by that is when you take uh, something that might be, let's say, a $100 ticket uh, mm. in the general world, and uh, with our ability to negotiate deals with some of these um, event owners to get some kind of discount for bringing our collection of members to them, we can then share that discount with our members. What we can also do is we can help out the event owners themselves because 80 90% of all events go unsold. Everybody always hears about, you know, waiting in line to get Coachella tickets or, you know, Rolling Loud or all the others. Most events don't sell out. And, uh, and the reality is, is the event owner wants to know uh, as, with as much certainty as possible how many tickets they sold along the way. Mm. So just like an airline charges more for a flight uh, that it has a high demand going to Florida, 
um, same can exist in a way within the ticketing industry. Um, for the good or the bad, the ticket industry has a monopoly uh, where you have people like Ticketmaster on the primary ticket side and you have StubHub on the secondary ticket side, which creates it hard to really do that. But when you have something like a subscription model based upon credits, um, we're able to charge more or less credits based upon not only the supply and demand, but based upon a lot of other, um, a lot of other factors. Mm. So we might provide access to an event for less credits for one of our good customers, meaning that one that is at a higher tier um, and one that goes to a lot of um, a lot of events mm-hmm. uh, because they they have a lot a, a larger lifetime value to us as a business. So then we can reduce the, what it costs for them to actually go because we know over time they're going to be a beneficial customer to our to our base. For sure. Taking all of that data, um, you can't really do that in a traditional cost transaction perspective, um, but you can do that in a credit-based model. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, I'll tell you one more thing, which is I think uh, I'm learning, which is a good thing, is when you charge somebody um, a monthly fee and they pay their monthly fee, that's really only one credit card transaction. And then, and then when they have a pool of credits and they redeem the credits, there's not really a fee for redeeming those credits. Right. So it makes it, it makes it easier for us to redeem the credits and, and not have to pay a credit card fee for every single event. It also makes it easy if they cancel, like if for some reason they have to cancel their, their ticket or the event cancels and you have to refund the ticket, it's much more cost effective to just put credits back into somebody's account than to go through the credit card processing transaction, which then you have to pay a 3% credit card fee and then all the, the banking relationships. So there's a lot of benefits to this credit-based system. It also acts as a form of reward currency. Mm. So when people refer their friends or they do things that help the business or help them engage, we can reward them with credits and it's really just a, it's a ledger transaction rather than having to reward them with cash or, mm-hmm. or credit card dollars. For sure. So how sorry, much, that might have been a lot more than you that, expected. That was fantastic, Ashley. I, I yeah, I do get a, a kick out of uh, hearing all this, you know, technical stuff. Um, how much of the uh, the e the the psychological e- ease of um, how do I put this? Like I, you, you can walk into an app. I, I I don't know if it's activated yet, but you can walk into an Apple store and you have the thing on your phone and you can just walk out with the product, and you know, I think. It, the the whole psychological uh, idea of making it easy to give you money, so taking away the barriers of yeah. of you know obviously cash to credit card is 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 the most simplest form of it. I mean, how much of that does does it play into the uh, the credit system? Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. So so the way I kind of look at it is, people that will sign up as members of Festival Pass, um, they already know they want to go to events, right? Mm-hmm. So um, they're already making a choice that, hey, whether it's $9 a month or $99 a month, which are plans we have, yep. is I'm going to like I'm going to commit to actually going to events so they can budget that. So, you know, let's say they chose to sign up for a $49 a month plan. They just know no matter what, the credit card is hit at $49 a month each month and they're budgeting for that. Mm. So they can easily fit that into their expense profile throughout the year. Uh, and then they, their credits accrue in their account. So it's almost like a savings account. Mm. So one, they can budget by just having it be the exact same amount per month. 
Two, their credits uh, grow uh, and, and are held like a savings account month over month if they don't spend it. Three, they'll never pay a ticketing fee. Four, they'll uh, usually get other benefits like early access, sometimes free tickets, uh, thing you know, discovery of things they don't know about. Sure. So the reason why I think it's powerful is it's not about use it or lose it kind of world where some subscription services are. Um, like if you pay for a month when you go to the gym and never go to the gym, you've lost that month fee. Um, that's what I think is super important for what we've designed is when you have credits that roll over, you can bank them and use mm -hmm. them in the future. That that's yeah no that that's a really good model I think because um you know you, you can't you go to the the you know the events that cost honestly I feel way too much than they 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 are um I sure. I prefer to go to to shows that are like you know fifteen twenty bucks and stand this close to the stage where my wife yep. likes the bigger bands you know we've seen Journey and and Def Leppard and they cost a, a huge amount of money. And we're standing all the way to the back, and the sound's not great. So sure. Um, so you, you guys are perfect for Festival Pass because you could, you know, sign up, get your credits, mm. and you know, once a week you can go to the the fifteen or twenty dollar equivalent band, and then every three or six months you can save up your credits and go to the one big one. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, um, just just having that savings account to go to, you know, whatever three day festival. Um, I think is uh yeah, that's pretty pretty uh powerful um you know, way of doing it. So that's awesome. Um normally I ask well, I'm gonna ask it anyway, because you're you're a music fan, you said that. Um what does music mean to you? Sure. I th I think it, it, it speaks a little bit to what I mentioned before, is it's it, it's about breaking down cultural bar barriers. Mm. Um so there's nothing that's more exciting to me than to live in a global world and to kind of uh, enable people to just understand different cultures. Um, mm. And it gets really hard when you talk politics, you talk even business, you talk a bunch of things. There's a lot of clashing and mis mismatched expectations. But music seems to be the one simple thing that everybody can agree on, that uh, that it really is a you know the soundtrack to your life, if you want to call it that way. Absolutely. Uh, and it really does bring cultures together. Awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. Um. Do you have like a top five uh, book list or podcast list that that people that you'd recommend people check out? And it could be business, it could be whatever. Yeah, good, good, good question. Um, you know, I don't know if I'll blow through all five, but from a pure business perspective, being a data guy, there's a there's a book called Measure What Matters. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it basically is all about creating. OKRs, which are different metrics and, cap and, and points to, to watch for in order to manage a business. So I think that's really powerful. Um, John Doerr, which is a venture capital guy, is the one who, who wrote it. Um, from a uh, personal perspective, um, there is a, uh, I'm trying to remember the, 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 the full name of it. It's a very small little book called um, The Measure of a Man, I think it is. Um, okay. Sounds familiar. Uh, but basically gets deep into, uh, you know, it really comes from a, a psychologist that lived through the Holocaust and tried to understand what humans went through during that time and basically just enables people to truly understand who they are as a human. Mm. Um, and then, of course, I love all the, uh, you know, marketing books out there, whether it's uh, Malcolm Gladwell and, uh, you know, he, he's really great about uh, kind of breaking down barriers and understanding uh, herd mentality and marketing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's 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 many more. And in, in part of my entrepreneur group, we uh, we're lucky enough to have a lot of these authors come in and speak to us. 
Um, so, you know, at least at least once a month, I'm, I'm seeing a new author and a new book and uh, trying to understand a little more about, you know, the excitement of entrepreneurship. Awesome. Well, um, yeah, it's been great to talk to you. A um, lot of fantastic information. Uh, where can people find out about Festival Pass? And if they want to reach out to you for any other questions, where can they go? Sure. Yep. Well, festivalpass.com is the, the simplest way to actually see the, the web app. Um, and then uh, Instagram and Facebook, you'll, you'll find us there. Um, just type in Festival Pass and you'll find us. Uh, I think our, you know, it's festival underscore pass on Instagram. And I think it's called Get Festival Pass on Facebook, but you'll find us. Okay. Uh, uh, me personally, um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, if anybody wants to find me there, um, you know, if anybody has a specific question about Festival Pass, my email is just ed at festivalpass.com. Um, but other than that, uh, I, think, I think that's most of the uh, contact information, right? Yeah, and I'll, I'll link it in the show notes and, uh, and uh, yeah, and we'll, we'll put it out there. So, uh, like I said, it's great to talk to you. Um, thank you so much for taking the time and, um, you know, wish you success in, in uh, Festival Pass. And I'll, I'll be uh, keeping tabs on it because it sounds really interesting. Thanks so much. I appreciate it and stay, stay healthy. Yeah, you as well. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and got a great deal out of it. Let me know what you think on social media, on Instagram, at Metal Doggy, M-E-T-A-L-D-O-G-G-I-E, and Facebook, facebook.com forward slash music on your own terms. So to play us out, here's a track from the upcoming album by my friends Creatures and Chemicals. Keep pushing the needle and be excellent to each other. This is Death Elevator, featuring someone familiar as the voice of a lift. A little nod to the IT crowd. Thank <laughs> you.